Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Napoleon Bonaparte podcast. Once again, I am, as always, your uh, humble host, Cameron Riley, and uh, with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, President of the International Napoleonic Society, J. David Markham. How are you today, sir? I'm very good, Cameron. How about you? I'm excellent. How's the weather uh, in Olympia, Washington? Are you still uh, buried under feet of snow? Oh, no, no. The snow was long since gone. Today it was about 40 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny. Uh, and, and a happy day it was, too, I, I have to say, regardless of one's politics. Uh, uh, you know, an awful lot of the, the, the world and certainly an awful lot of America uh, delighted uh, today uh, in the inauguration of, uh, of now President uh, Barack Obama and, and Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, I spent a fair amount of the earlier part of the day watching the, 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 the pomp and ceremony, which is always fun to watch. Uh, a little sad to realize they'll never, you know, play Ruffles and Flourishes for me or Hail to the Chief. But uh, uh, it's, uh, it, was, it was quite an exciting thing. And he, he gave a very, very fine talk. Uh, and, you know, he's got an 83 percent approval rating and an awful lot of Republicans have been coming on and, and saying they wish him well and hope he is successful. And and I think most of the rest of the world also feels that, uh, you know, America may be back now and, and all of the good senses of that word and uh, uh, changes in the air. And 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 we all wish him well. So uh, it was it was quite an eventful day that way. Well, I'm not going to comment on that because we'll just end up in a debate, and uh, we've got more important things to do on the show today. We can well, now, do, now, we can, now we can, Cameron, as much as as much as you have disliked President Bush, and and I share that, of course, with you, you you must surely have some pretty doggone positive uh, vibes uh, with Obama. Now, earlier before we got on the air, you commented that well, he hadn't done anything yet. Of course, it's his first day, so. So that's that's kind of understandable. But give the man time. I think you'll be very pleased. Well, I hope you're right. But, you know, I, I have skepticism of the American system and how and how it's run behind the scenes. I don't think it matters much who the front man is. Um, and, you know, whilst I, I'm pl- as pleased as everyone to see a, a finally a black American president, I think that's definitely a good thing. Um, it's good whenever you see any sort of yeah. minority, uh, you know, reach those sorts of levels of respectability and power, and, ho- and hope that they will be uh, uh, very tolerant in their views. You know, I, I have been concerned with um, some of the stuff that Obama even has done or not done um, in the last couple of months as president-elect, um, not speaking out over. Um, Israel's uh, attacks on Gaza, um, allowing $160 million to be spent on the inauguration four times what uh, George Bush's first uh, inauguration cost when America is in the greatest financial crisis it's seen in a century and he's spending $160 million on parties. You you know, off to a bad start. You do realise... You do realise, Cameron, that's private funds that David, are, that are the, raised. David, uh, the entire federal budget is private funds that is raised. Um, and it's just a bad sign to be spending $160 million on parties. I don't care where the money's coming from when you're in the biggest – when you've got such massive rates of unemployment, people losing their homes everywhere. So I told you we'd just get into a fight about this. So 
Let's save, let's save it for another show. Um, all right, so we have a guest on the show today. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this guest. Um, uh, uh, um, this is a gentleman by the name of Michael Kroger. Michael is uh, from Melbourne, my old hometown. Um, he is a very successful businessman. He's the uh, founder and chairman of an investment banking firm. He's also very successful as not a politician, but he's a political power broker. He's been very involved in the Liberal Party in Victoria, which for our American listeners or international listeners, the Liberal Party in Australia is kind of the ideological equivalent of the Republican Party in the United States. And... Uh, Michael has uh, ne- ne- never run for office and has turned down many opportunities to run for office over the years. But he's, he was, uh, the, I think, the, the chairman or the president of the Liberal Party in Victoria for many, many years um, and, and has been very closely involved with a lot of the very successful campaigns of um, many politicians in Victoria. So he's a very, very successful man both in, in the world of politics and in the world of business. And um, about 15 years or so ago, I attended a Napoleonic exhibition in Melbourne that uh, I saw Michael in the room and knew who he was, but, you know, we, we didn't talk. He didn't know who I was. Um, and I, I subsequently found out that he had sponsored this exhibition and that he was a bit of a Napoleon fan. And then um, uh, over the course of the last year or so, I actually heard that his home, which is a bit of a, a mansion in Melbourne, is um, quite a bit of a Napoleonic museum. So um, I reached out to him uh, and invited him onto the show, and he, he said yes. So uh, as you and I have discussed, David, in this, this part of the series, uh, one of the things that will be fun to do, apart from talking to historians, is talking to people from other fields of life, business, politics, sport, who have a passion for Napoleonic history, to, to get them to share with us how they became interested, why they're interested, what they uh, take away from it. Absolutely, and it should be interesting to uh, uh, to, to have him on the show. I'm 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 going to be very interested to hear uh, you know how he got interested in in collecting and and uh, how he relates uh, what he has collected to to the person uh, Napoleon himself. It, it should be fascinating. All right. Well, um, I agree. Let's let's get him on the line and um, have a chat. Michael, thanks for joining us. I, I first became aware of your interest in Napoleon, I think, about uh, 15 years ago. I remember there being a, a, an exhibition held in Melbourne of Napoleonic memorabilia that I believe you had something to do with bringing it to Australia. Is my memory serving me correctly? Sure, true. We um, were involved with um, a, a, a friend in Paris who has a large um, private collection of um, Napoleon memorabilia and personal effects and um, we were one of the sponsors in bringing that exhibition to Melbourne uh, and uh, we held it at an old uh, old mansion in Kew and um, it was very successful. A lot of people turned up so there's a, a lot of interest in uh, in Napoleon in Melbourne, Australia of all places. I tell my wife he's everywhere so. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't uh, Bernard Chevalier was it? I'm trying to see if my memory holds me correctly. No, it, it it wasn't, but um, 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 it was it was a, a collection of a Frenchman called Pierre Chalonson, Pierre Jean Chalonson, 
who um, appears from time to time in Napoleon books and publications, um, and it was his collection that um, a, we had dinner with. Yes. He, he, he's known for having quite a quite a very fine collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's quite well known, and and his collection, I think, has been touring America in recent months in various uh, at various um, museums. Um, so um, he's he's quite a well known figure in the in in the Napoleon world. Um, David, I think you'd agree with that. Yes. Oh, there's no question about it. And, yeah. And his uh, at least some of his collection has been over here. Uh, yeah. And it's very well received. Which yeah. you know, I I'm always interested in that because because I'm also a collector, although I don't have nearly the stuff that, that he does. How, how about you, Michael? Do you do you have do you collect as well, or or what is your interest in Napoleon? Well, uh, I suppose early on in my life, my mother, who was uh, who was a great antique collector, took me to various exhibitions and um, auctions. And uh, for whatever reason, there were a number of empire-style pieces for sale at various auctions. So I started to take uh, take an interest in, in in the style of Napoleon. And later on in life, it occurred to me, you know, I thought of how extraordinary it was that a man who had been involved in such you know, extraordinary brutality as, as the leader of the French people. Some of the Napoleonic Wars, of course, which are which are well documented in, in in so many books, involved such brutality. Yet at the same time, he was a man with remarkable refinement and taste. And um, you know, one of my earliest sort of influences in in in, in the Napoleonic world was Percier and Fontaine, his designers, who. Um, their book is sort of the Bible of Interior Design, which was published back in 1801, as I'm sure everyone knows. And I just found it extraordinary that that, that Napoleon at home was um, at Fontainebleau, at Compagnie, and uh, the Tuileries was surrounded by such grandeur and beauty refinement, um, yet on the battlefront, um, such bloodshed and devastation. And it's an extraordinary, um, you know, mix of mix of emotions that uh, one minute he can be coming back from uh, fr- from Russia through that extraordinarily cold winter and, and, and the brutality of the, of the long march, straight back to a, a magnificent palace. Um, and, um, uh, you know, his life was, was, was an extraordinary mixture of, um, you know, of all of those, all of those rich things. So I, I suppose the answer to the question is I first took an interest because of, because of um, empire-style design and then... Uh, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, took took a great interest in, uh, in 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 his battles and in his military campaigns. I suppose the thing to answer your question, which uh, none of that was the answer to your question, David, which is, um, I bought a I bought a painting at, at, at an auction at Christie's East in 1999. The Western Reserve Historical Society, I think it was, were getting rid of a whole lot of pieces that they'd held in storage for many years, and I bought. A painting um, said to be by the school of Paul Delaroche, um, which is the famous painting of Napoleon at Fontainebleau, which is the 31st, 1814, um, just before the abdication. He's looking very depressed. He's sitting in a chair, very lonely, depressed, um, isolated. And this painting of Delaroche's, which he which he did for the museum, the is in the Leipzig Museum in Germany. He then painted six others. Um, the Queen has one, which I've seen. It's in the Queen's um, Gallery in London. He painted another very large one, which is in the Army Museum in Paris. Um, um, there's one in the museum in Hamburg in Germany, another one there. There's two missing. And I've got the seventh one. Now, Delaroche apparently only painted one. The other six were painted by his students. So I had a wonderful three-year odyssey some years back tracing 
um, who actually painted this this um, fantastic uh, painting of Napoleon at Fontainebleau. There was um, an American called Norman Ziff who wrote a PhD on Napoleon many years ago, I think it was 1974, and I, I got a copy of that and I tracked down Ziff 25 years later. Um, I tracked him down five or six years ago. He was a, he's now a lawyer in, in Los Angeles and discussed the painting with him. I went to see him, discussed the painting with him, and uh, cut a long story short, the painting I've got was done by one of, one of uh, Delaroche's students. Um, I tracked the records of it being imported from Paris, where it was painted by Delaroche in 1854, to... Um, to um, I think uh, Staten Island, where a man called Henderson had had, had lived and had a gallery, and um, it was imported. And I found the import documents, and then I got uh, one of the Napoleon experts from uh, from England to, to to track the painting. And um, in the end, uh, as you may know, Delaroche's dealer Goupil, his records are in the Getty Museum in Los Angeles. So um, we yeah. had a look at all the records and um, found that the painting had been imported. Um, so uh, that's that's my favourite piece. It's a very large painting of Napoleon Fontainebleau. Um, it's not part of the years of success and celebration, but it's a reminder to us all, I think, of what can happen if hubris takes over. Where do you, where do you keep that painting, Michael? Uh, I, I've heard rumours that uh, you have quite a uh, Napoleonic house. I've been to David's house in Olympia, Washington, which is a bit of a uh, shrine to Napoleon. I've heard rumours that uh, you've got quite an exhibition at home. Well, um, I've, I've, I've reproduced, um, um, we've probably got about five rooms now. We have a very old house, um, and I've got about five rooms decorated in the First Empire style. Um, so I've had reproduced um, from the Persia and Fontaine book uh, a number of their wallpapers. Um, very clever people these days can do these things. Um, I, get a, I get a painter, a hand painter, to paint one section, which you then Photoshop, um, which these fantastic graphic designers can do, and you can Photoshop it on, um, and just reproduce wallpapers on mass. So, I've got a I've got a dining room which is covered in the wallpaper. If anyone knows Percy and Fontaine's book, um, there's a wonderful um, uh, sketching of the of the design for the Emperor's throne room of the Tuileries, and um, with the with the Napoleon on here and the crest above it, surrounded by laurel uh, leaf. I've had that reproduced in the dining room, which is black and gold, which is um, pretty, which is which is magnificent. Um, so, um, uh, from various books, you can you can um, just have photocopied color. Um, if you've got a, you know, a a good color photo, you can just have it copied and then reproduced as a wallpaper. So, um, I've got four or five rooms with with fantastic empire um, reproduction wallpaper. Um, and uh, it's it's actually quite easy to do. So, and I've obviously bought you know furniture, lucky enough to buy furniture from various places around the world. Um, so I've got quite a lot of Napoleon um, or em- Empire period, you know, clocks and chairs and couches and candelabra and right. mirrors and all sorts of things. You do realize, of course, that you are making uh, me and any number of other people uh, around the world insanely jealous to hear this. This is uh, sounds wonderful. Well, I'm. Well, David, it's not—it's—it's—it's it's, it's actually not all that hard to do. I just, um, you know, I—I I, I had a, a, a beautiful, um, I had a, a book with some a magnificent, uh, some magnificent um, pictures of. I suppose, like everyone listening, I've got you know hundred books on Napoleon here, but uh, in 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 a number of them, you can find wonderful 
reproductions of of um, some of the wallpapers. Um, uh, you know, sure. Chevalier himself published a book recently on Empire Style, and there's there's That's many w- wonderful books. And uh, um, I think um, the, the the best book of all on Empire Design, if you want um, uh, style, is is a little book called Empire Style. Um, um, by Valmont. It's a small book of about two inches by eight inches. Um, Mark Walter was the photographer. Um, Chevalier wrote, a, wrote an introduction. I bought it when I went to Compagnie um, uh, and it's got fantastic photographs in it and it's very easy to get them, to get them copied and, and, and reproduced. So to, 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 actually, to actually, you know, um, decorate a, a, a room in empire style is not uh, is not that difficult. Um, you can find these photographs, get them reproduced, and uh, away you go. It's not it's not uh, it takes a little bit of imagination, and a lot of time, but uh, uh, it's 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 the great it's the great design um, period of of you know in, of all time. It's got all the classical elements in it, and um, it, it has a wonderful grandeur about it, and it's not that expensive to do. Um, and uh, it's been, you know, a lot of fun. So uh, if if, you, if anyone's over here, they should feel free to drop into Melbourne, Australia, and uh, come and uh, come and um, have a look. It's nothing. It's nothing. I mean, there's probably a million people have got much better than than we have, but uh, it's a small token of uh, of you know love for what is a, just a, an extraordinary was an extraordinary period in design, military history, and everything else. How, how does Mrs. Kroger feel about the house being a Napoleon museum? Ah, well, less than enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> um, yes. But, um, there you go. <laughs> we're all familiar uh, with that. Yeah, we can, all we can all relate. We can all relate. So, so Michael, the, the real reason you're for having right, you... you... Sorry, David, go you're, ahead. I was going to say, you're, you're, I'm, I'm just checking to see if I have that little book you're talking about. Uh, the, the Chevalier book is good. There's a couple of other big ones that are out. And, and you're quite right, Michael. The, the the granddaddy of them all is is the Percy Fontaine. I've I've got oh. an 1812 edition of that, with, which has the actual uh, commentary as well, and it's just unbelievable. But you know, wives don't always get that. I there's this one graphic in there that shows this fabulous uh, uh, chair, for example, and and uh, there's another one with a wonderful bed. And I say, you know, why can't we just have that bed? And and, and I don't get very far with it. <laughs> well, why not? Indeed, <laughs> you know the other great thing, um, um, uh, David, is that there are so many clever artisans around. I think if I were, when, I, when I'm reincarnated, I think I want to be a carpenter because um, I, I've had a, I've had a, 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 a Polish carpenter who's who's done various things for me over 20 years. Unfortunately, he died last year, but um, he was a genius with his hands, and I could show him a photograph of a mirror, and he could reproduce it. Um, and just you know, a wonderful sense. More than anything, he had a wonderful sense of proportion. He would look at something and say, "I'd say, could you make that you know slightly bigger, this, that, and the other?" And he'd come back with a drawing. He'd say, "No, no, it's slightly out of proportion if you do it that way." And uh, you know, he had a fantastic eye and wonderful hands, and reproduced for me a number of just you know superb sort of uh, empire style mir- mirrors. Um, but there are these wonderful artisans around who can gild and who can color and who can uh, you know they can plaster cast I mean you know, basically you know anything's possible there's some wonderful plasters here in Melbourne who can reproduce the Imperial Eagle and um, uh, you know all sorts of things there are these are very clever people around so um, 
you know, if you if you love the style, it becomes an addiction because I don't think there's anything grander. I mean, modern houses are great, but they're modern houses. They're you know, to me, they're a dime a dozen. Um, you look at a couch and you think, well, that's a uh, that's very interesting, and it's a leather couch that you know you could get anywhere. So um, you go to some of the great you know antique shops around the world, um, and um, you can find some extraordinary things, extraordinary things, and they're treasures for life. Um, so. The Empire style, it, 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 it rules and uh, rules over here. So, Michael, um, the, as well, it should. The, the the real reason for having you on, David and I have spent the last couple of years doing, um, I don't know, a hundred hours uh, or so of recording the linear story of Napoleon's life, which we finished uh, a few months back. And what we are wanting to do um, this year is chat to people from around the world who aren't necessarily historians but who have mm. a passion for Napoleonic history and to explore how it influences the lives of people other than historians. Now um, I know that there's quite a few very successful businessmen around the world that have a passion for Napoleon. I worked at Microsoft for many years and the story was that Steve Barmer, the CEO of Microsoft, is a Napoleon nut. We uh, haven't had a chance to confirm that directly with him yet, but uh, I also know that uh, there's uh, a number of other... I think Conrad Black is supposed to be yep. a very big Napoleon fan. Um, sure, he was. Uh, was. He's still with us, Conrad, isn't he? Just uh, incarcerated, yep, I think. Yep, he's... Yeah. he's uh, Staying with the Queen at the minute, I think, <laughs> we euphemistically call it over here. That's right. Um, and, and there are others as well. In fact, uh, Tony O'Reilly, I remember, um, wrote a sure. great uh, review of uh, the 1812 book that came out a few years ago. Um, and, of course, yourself, a very successful businessman and, and very involved in uh, politics in, in Victoria. I'd, I'd, I'm really interested to know what aspects of Napoleon's life uh, most ring out for you. Obviously, the d empire design, we, we now understand. What else is it mm -hmm. about Napoleon that uh, has been useful to you in your business and uh, political career over the last few decades? Look, I suppose... Um you know, anyone who reflects on life, um, you know, must must reflect, um, Cameron, on the fact that um, you can learn great lessons from history, um, whether it's Napoleon or you know one of one or more of any other great and famous figures. There's always lessons you can learn. I mean, who who doesn't learn lessons of the past as sort of bound to repeat the mistakes, as they say. So you can learn a lot from these great historical figures and if you don't study them and study their successes and mistakes, um, I think you're poorer for it. If you look at his life, um, um, you know, you tend to think that, that obviously um, hubris after the, years of, after the years of supremacy, particularly sort of that period 1805 to 1809, took over um, um, you know, he, he, he mistook his friendship for the, with, with um, the Tsar of Russia. Um, he extended the boundaries too far. Um, and, um, you know, basically hubris took over. Um, you see that in a lot of political leaders today around the world, by the way. Uh, political and, 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 and more recently in business leaders who think they can do no wrong who think the economic or business or political or geo, geographical, geopolitical you know, uh, parameters don't apply to them. And so I think in his case, you basically say, well, you know, after the great period 
um, you know, Austerlitz through to Wagram, and then probably um, you look at you look at what happened in Russia as the beginning of the end. Um, and, I, and I must say, one of the great books I've read in recent years is that Adam Zamoyski's book on the, the Fatal March, which was just a stunning. I couldn't put it down. I'm it sure was, you couldn't either. But oh, it was totally brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. We're well, looking forward to having Zamoyski on the show. What, actually, it's one of the very best out. Oh, if you ever if you ever have faint designs on being a writer, um, <laughs> Zamoyski tells you why you shouldn't bother. Um, because you can't compete with a man who writes so brilliantly. And then there's and then the other great, you know, Andrew Roberts has written, the, the English historian's written some brilliant things about Napoleon. Um, but, you know, to get back to the answer is I, I think that what it tells us all is that, um, you know, everyone needs, everyone needs, whether you're a business leader or a political leader, you need people around you who are prepared to tell you the truth. I think that's the great lesson for me in, in, in his life, other lessons from other great historical figures. But... Um, you know, there were very few around him that were prepared to, to um, you know, he was counted, allegedly Josephine counseled him against going to Moscow and various others did, but he, he you know, in the end, that, that fatal march was, was what brought him down. And um, it tells you that, you know, in the end, um, you need people around you who will tell you when you're wrong. So it's more his downfall that you, you take lessons from as opposed to the rise? Oh, I think so, because um, there are many rises. I mean, you know, a lot of people in the world rise for one reason or another. Um, it's those who can quit at the top who are remembered, uh, remembered most fondly. Um, perhaps we write more about those that don't quit at the top and we, we, we you know, track their downfall, um, whether it's political business or military leaders. But there are very few in history who have been able to quit at the top. I'm talking, I suppose, politics. Well, and, and, the, and that's... And that's fair enough. Do do I get the sense from you that you think that uh, that Napoleon's downfall was was strictly his fault, uh, his own hubris, uh, not having someone to uh, to tell him the truth? Uh, uh, do do you hold uh, any of the other powers uh, responsible for those powers who who perhaps were not willing to to let Napoleon? Uh, uh, go out at the top and, and, and simply uh, rule, you know, the, those areas that he controlled. Uh, you know, how do you how do you respond to an argument that we have typically made on this show that uh, you know the the various coalitions uh, were all organized against Napoleon and that he was not, as a general rule, the the primary aggressor. That uh, an awful lot of uh, the so-called Napoleonic wars and the brutality that you mentioned were were the result of of uh, nations of the Ancien Regime being unwilling to allow Napoleon to 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 simply either rule France or or, or rule whatever areas uh, he had in the course of the the uh, wars of the period uh, gain control of. Um, David, I think there's been a thousand books written on that. <laughs> I was trying to answer that question. <laughs> um, well, yes, I've, I've written eight of them myself. <laughs> I think I've got two of them. <laughs> um, you know, that's an incredibly complex question. Um, did he have commanders that stood up to him? Did Ney stand up to him? Did Kulankult stand up to him? Did Murat stand up to him? Murat certainly. Murat abandoned him. Um, um, you know, Marshal Land was killed before he could... You know, he was very close to Napoleon. He was killed before he could... 
probably put a stop to 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 you know the excesses of, of, of Moscow. So did he have people around him that would tell him? Um, probably not. Um, he he was encouraged by 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 Alexander in Russia after they met in 1807. Um, I think that probably encouraged him more to to go into you know the eastern parts of Europe. Um, did members of the Asian, Asian regime, um, w was it partly their fault? Um, well, um, you know, I think generally history tells us that countries object to being invaded, whether now or then. Um, um, did he expand him, extend himself t too far into Spain, into Italy, into... And then the whole debate about Poland and, uh, and, and, and parts of Russia. I mean, you know, he had this, then before he became first consul, there was Egypt. Um, I mean, he, he was a man who, who, who's, whose grandeur, um, he really didn't know any bounds. Um, these were brutal wars. Um, they cost tens of thousands of, hundreds of thousands of lives. You know, the March on Moscow, hundreds of thousands of lives. He couldn't replenish the army quick enough. Um, those scenes um, upon his return uh, from Elba with, uh, you know, a basically teenage conscript army. Um, you know, he was a man who extended... For, you know, the, the answer to the question is very complex, but to me, he was a man who extended his, his reach. He overreached, um, and no one stopped him. And what stopped him was the geography of, of, of the march on Moscow. Um, in, 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 and I'm sure a thousand people will disagree with that, but in, in simple terms, that's that's where I see it landing. <laughs> and, and two of them, two of them are on the other end of the line here, Michael. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I guess my question for you, I mean, the argument that David and I have always made on the show is that. Uh, you know, even before Napoleon came to power, France was being attacked by the, the ancien regime uh, monarchs who didn't want to see the revolution succeed, and that just extended. Napoleon just did a better job of uh, fighting back than uh, the Directory had done. But it, it, with hindsight, if um, you could uh, go back in time and put a word in Napoleon's ear around about 1805, um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, what would you advise him to do? You're, you're a you're an advisor to power. That's part of your uh, <laughs> career. You're a power. Your your name is usually followed by the word power broker. Um, you know, what advice would you give Napoleon? Uh, boy, uh, I think that's probably beyond me. <laughs> um, <laughs> come, come now, come now, Michael. It's a, it's a, it's actually a fantastic question. Um, you know, I. I um, um, someone said to me once, you know, said to me once, if, if you were at a dinner with him, um, um, just after he'd, he'd become first consul, um, you know, what, what would you have said to him at dinner? Um, um, so um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a great question. What, 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 what would one have said to him? Um, of course, we have the benefit of hindsight. Um, and um, um, the other thing is, of course, it's very hard for sort of mili you know, military leaders. How do they retire? I mean, how does a military leader like that, who's also, you know, emperor of the country and head of the military, how do you actually retire and retain power or a semblance of power? To whom do you hand over uh, in that situation? It's not just the succession of royalty, which is done in many ways, and many ways not, but you know, in many ways, peacefully transferred from. In Certainly in Britain, from one generation to the next, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been like that. I mean, um, you know, would his son um, have have you know, because he died early, but would his son have, have, have been accepted by the by the French public if Napoleon had just re retired into anonymity later on in life? 
um, you, you just don't know these things. And this, and this is one of the, this is one of the enduring, um, you know, fascinations about him. Um, if he hadn't been to Moscow, what would have happened? I mean, what would have happened? He'd, he'd had such brilliant military victories. Um, if he hadn't lost all those men, if he hadn't been on the long march, um, if Ney hadn't turned up unrecognised in that, uh, wherever he turned up in Poland as the last, uh, as the last marshal retreating from Moscow, uh, if that hadn't happened, what, what would have happened to the First Empire? And these are, these are, these are great questions which I'm sure people, David, will be able to write books nine and ten about in due course. So it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's a great question. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the great things is, of course, that with a lot of leaders, um, you can't you can't exhibit them. Um, you know, people forget that because of the grand empire style that Napoleon supported, promoted, and encouraged, which spread right throughout many parts of the world. It's one of the reasons we can hold these great Napoleon exhibitions. There is so much to see. I mean, Pierre Jean Chalonson has some wonderful relics from his will, his handkerchiefs, his underclothes, his books, and chair, all sorts of things. But you can go to a wonderful, um, you know, the Nelson exhibition um, held a couple of years ago, which I went to in, in, in London. Um, there's a small exhibition in Atlanta last year, uh, which I went to just in, in April last year. Um, you can go to these wonderful Napoleonic exhibitions because visually um, they're so entrancing and enticing for people. Um, and, um, you know, this is one of the great side benefits of his era that he was a great military genius but because of his love for, for, for style and design and grandeur he's left a legacy which which we can you know cherish and feast on forevermore now um you know many 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 leaders of course you don't have exhibitions because there's nothing to see they've written a letter or a book or there's a map or something well there's nothing to exhibit there's no it's not visually it's not appealing but the memory of napoleon lives and prospers and is strong and one of the reasons is because his people and new new generations are reminded of him because of the exhibitions which can be held because visually they're so appealing there is so much to see whether it's you know, flags, battles. Um, there is a fantastic Napoleonic museum in in the south of France, which I went to a couple of months ago in Marseille. Um, I've I've just forgotten the name of it. Um, it's a uh, um, very um, um, the French couple who go who started it, who who gave it all to the to the French government. It is a stunning little museum uh, in Marseille, twenty minutes out of Marseille. Um, that you wouldn't, you, you you know, you think, well, why would there be a museum in the middle of nowhere? And it is absolutely breathtaking. Um, and, th- and this is one of the things that, that, that the style uh, endures, so we can, you know, we can, um, you know, feast on the, on this greatness. Is there a, a particular piece of uh, Napoleonic memorabilia that uh, you have an ambition to get your hands on, Michael? Um, well, uh, you know, I look at all the catalogues when they come up for sale. Um, there's often stuff at, um, um, the auction house at Fontainebleau, um, where I've bought quite a few things. Um, they have some, they have some wonderful things there. Uh, I, I, I don't think particularly, it depends what comes up. You never know. There was a, the, the, the sword that came up, uh, last year that sold, I think, for a million dollars. There's, uh, you know, it's rare. It's rare you can find something of his that's, that's affordable because there are so many collectors, so many wealthy collectors. 
Um, I'm actually sure. happy with the, with a few pieces. I've got a few books from uh, from um, uh, his his library, um, which which I think probably everybody does. It must have been a very large library. Um, but uh, uh, no, not in particular. I mean, I, I you know I've got a few empire clocks and some vases and uh, <laughs> some um, lots of mirrors and things, and um, you know. Um, so a few military pieces. I bought a first wonderful first Empire Shako. Um, um, so you now you just it's, I think like all Napoleon sort of people of interest, you you just collect bits and pieces, and then it it grows and grows and grows, and uh, then it gets out of control. I think that's what happens, isn't it? Oh um, yes, that's for sure. <laughs> it just uh, just just, an, just ask my wife; she'll tell you. <laughs> and, uh, well, if you if you haven't we'll, converted we'll it yet, get Barbara, we'll get Barbara on the show, and she'll tell you all about that. <laughs> well, if you haven't converted it yet, it might be too late. That's right. And, and David's uh, good friend Ben Weeder, who was the the founder of INS, um, unfortunately passed away a couple of months ago. And I think um, in his he donated his collection to uh, Montreal. David, is that correct? That's right, to the Museum of Fine Arts in, in Montreal. In Montreal, and um, it had a hat in it, uh, one of the bicorns. And yes. I've always thought if money was uh, you know, not a problem, that'd be the one thing that I would love to have, as I'm sure most oh, really? collectors would. Yes, I read it. I read of his death, which is extremely, uh, extremely sad. Um, um, uh, sorry, just to, just to divert that. That uh, museum is the one of Jean Brunon. Um, in in Marseille, in uh, if you haven't been there, is absolutely stunning, um, and uh, it's huge. It's it's very large. It's military in in in, uh, in his collection, but it's uh, absolutely a stunning uh, stunning museum. And there's a fantastic um, um, book uh, about it by Vincent. Is it Bourgeau? Um, and uh, just a, just an absolutely brilliant museum. So I went there a couple of months ago and uh, spent several wonderful hours, which uh, which my wife was very happy about. <laughs> Plenty of things for her to do in Marseille, I'm sure. We were um, we we were just in uh, Corsica in July uh, for a Napoleonic Congress that that David and the INS hosted, uh, and we should uh, we should think about Marseille for a future Congress, David. That sounds good. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, the museum there is stunning. Um, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was very large, full of militaria. Um, they had a they had a fantastic collection, and uh, it's absolutely beautiful. So, yeah. Um, uh, when is the next convention? I must come. It's going to be the eighth uh, uh, of uh, the eighth to the twelfth of June and and of this year in in Montreal, and it'll be in fact at the museum. Uh, and and we will uh, have a, a, a private tour of the collection and so on. Oh wow! I look forward to meeting you there then. You check your diary. Oh, abs- ab- absolutely! I'll get uh, I'll get your email from uh, yep. uh, Cameron and send you stuff. And you can go on our website www.napoleonicsociety.com uh, and go to the section on congresses and and the information there as well. Great! I'll do that, and I'll, uh, I'll yeah, look forward to seeing send, you. There. Send in the form. Let me know. Let me know for sure you're coming, and, and if you'd like yep. to give a talk on on collecting, you know, or, or oh. some other topic, let, let me know. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll you, do that. You can, you can give a lecture. You can give a lecture beyond the program. Okay, I'd be very happy to do that. 
Well, Michael, that's great. Yeah. And, um, and thank you so much for your time today. We'll, we'll let you get on with your morning. Pleasure. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, having a chat with us. It's, it's been fantastic. Great. And good luck right, with the on, show. Well, thank you very much. And, and it's a real pleasure to have met you. Thank you all the very best. Well, there you have it, David. Um, Got to say, that's not exactly uh, what I expected going into this. I actually thought he would be uh, much more pro-Napoleon for somebody who has, you know, paintings of Napoleon all around his house and uh, artwork. But uh, there you go. Uh, He's taken lessons from the part of Napoleon's career, which, um, you know, I find uh, the saddest. He's uh, taken lessons from that and obviously is a big fan of the Empire style that, you know, without Napoleon, we wouldn't have. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, people can like neoclassical uh, uh, art and and architectural style, for example, without being a great fan of the Roman emperors. Uh, uh, You don't have to like Caligula to like columns, I suppose. Uh, And you wouldn't have necessarily to like uh, Napoleon, uh, or at least not every aspect of Napoleon, to like the style. he uh, he he did seem to have you know less of a high opinion of Napoleon than 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 you might expect for someone who who collects that stuff. Uh, but he was a thoughtful person, an interesting person, and uh, uh, I I, th- I found him uh, you know a, a very uh, a positive uh, uh, contribution contributor to uh, to the show. And it'd be fantastic if he uh, is able to make it to the next Congress in Montreal and perhaps give a paper. That'd be terrific. Well, I'd love to have him uh, come and do that. Uh, of course, I'm, I'd love to, to go to Melbourne and, and, and see his uh, fine collection. Well, that, uh, I've got some books can, that he mentioned. I mean, sorry, for, I was just going to say you should talk to him about that. I mean, we might be able to hold uh, Congress in 2010 in Melbourne. How awesome would that be? Well, I, go ahead. Oh, no, I just said, how awesome would that be? So, no, keep going. <laughs> oh, okay, how awesome. Yeah, uh, and yes, it would be. And and I would very much love to have uh, a, a Congress uh, in in Melbourne, uh, in Australia sometime, I, whether it would be 2010 or, or 11, I don't know. Uh, we've got some other uh, places that are possible. I, I do want to put in a plug uh, to our uh, listeners uh, again, that uh, this coming uh, June 8th through the 12th uh, of 2009 in Montreal, uh, headquartered at the uh, Montreal Museum of uh, Fine Arts, uh, the International Napoleonic Society will have its seventh International Napoleonic Congress. And all of our listeners uh, are, are invited to attend. If you have a paper you'd like to present, a lecture you'd like to give, please, you know, let me know. Uh, but even if you would simply like to come and listen to the papers and, and, and enjoy the camaraderie, uh, meet me, meet, meet a whole bunch of other really important people. Uh, we, we have some of the world's top historians uh, coming. I recently received word uh, that the uh, descendant of uh, uh, Count Montholon is is going to be there and give a, and give a paper. Uh, wow. and, and we've got we've got people so far from the United States, France, uh, and and Canada who who have uh, uh, committed to coming, and and we're just now beginning to to get uh, 
registration materials uh, sent in. But uh, it's going to be a wonderful Congress, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Is the descendant of Montholon going to talk about the poisoning theory of Benz? Well, as it happens, he is, and as he happens, he 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 is a supporter of Ben Wheater's thesis on on the poisoning, uh, uh, and, and is not too happy with what his ancestor did, as I understand it. So, uh, wow, that would it be, will be uh, it, Yes, it will be. All right. Well, David, um, lovely to talk to you again. Uh, a terrific show, and um, yeah, we'll we'll have to figure out who we're going to have on as our next guest. Well, you know, we've got we've got uh, uh, Professor uh, John Gallagher that we want to get back for a second time, uh, and I've got a number of other people. Uh, 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 Alex uh, Mikvorenzi would, would would like to be on. Uh, Michael Legere would like to be on, and I've got quite a few others who I'm sure we can get. We can we can have uh, lots and lots of special guests coming down the pike uh, for our listeners' uh, enjoyment and edification.